looking at the true meaning of Christmas. It's all straight ahead here on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. From all of us at Grace Bible Church and Graceful Truth, on behalf of Steve and his wife, Merry Christmas. We trust and pray that this following week provides for you a clearer understanding of what it is we're really celebrating. And that's what we're doing here today on the broadcast, taking a look at the true meaning of Christmas. So join us here with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth is Pastor Steve Converse. Secondly, salvation is accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. Through his name, though his name here in the text is not even mentioned, really. Specifically, in Zechariah's prophecy, his person is described. And there's no mistake about it. It says there in verse 69, the horn of salvation is from what? The house of David. It's interesting because Zechariah and Elizabeth were descended from Aaron who was from the tribe of Levi. That's in verse 5 of chapter 1. But Jesus was described from the tribe of Judah through David in the genealogies and the Gospels. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Also, Luke verse 76 there in chapter 1 shows that the coming Savior was none other than the Lord God in human flesh. It says, in you, child will be called the prophet of the what? The Most High. The Lord, who is God, is Jesus. John really recognized the divinity of Jesus when he affirmed that Jesus had a higher rank than he, (laughs) because he existed before him. Now, if you stop and you look at that physically, you're going, well, wait a minute, I thought John was older than Jesus. He was by six months. Well, how could Jesus exist before John then? Because he's eternal. Jesus' existence didn't begin at the birth of Christ. At the incarnation, he existed before that. Or he wouldn't be God. Zacharias refers to the Savior in verse 78 as the sunrise from on high. That's a reference to Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you know what? Jesus himself in John 8 even claimed, I am the light of the world He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus Christ is clearly the Savior whom Zacharias in all of Scripture is prophesying about. And as the angel told Joseph after explaining how Mary had conceived, can you imagine that? You're engaged to be wed, and your bride is pregnant, and you're not the father. That would be a tough situation. The angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, 21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's nothing special about the name Jesus in, in, as far as names go. As a matter of fact, the other day, Christy was telling me when she went to order the cake, I don't know where you ordered at Costco or Safeway, she wrote out, you know, Happy Birthday, Jesus. And the guy said, oh, that's great, a birthday party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, yeah, it's, it's for church. And she goes, oh, okay, well, I hope Jesus has a nice day or whatever. And she says, no, 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 it's, it's for church. It's Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus, not Jesus. 
The point here is, is, is simply this, is that Jesus is the salvation that God accomplished, and it was accomplished through him, through the house of David. Thirdly here, salvation means forgiveness of our sins by God's mercy. That's what salvation is all about. In the earliest part of this prophecy, Zechariah speaks of salvation with reference to, really, national deliverance for Israel. In verse 71, he says that he should save us from our sin, our enemies. Verse 74, that we'll be delivered from the hand of our enemies. And that's kind of a political aspect of salvation, and that's going to be fulfilled in Christ's second coming. When he will return and defeat Israel's enemies and establish his kingdom as he rules over the earth. But once again, the Jews in Jesus' day, they, they didn't understand that. They really thought wrongly and they thought that somehow God's salvation through the Messiah was purely political. That's why when we were going through the, the Gospel of Matthew... We could understand their thinking because they, even the disciples thought, man, he's going to go and go to Jerusalem and overturn Rome and deliver us. No, it's not going to happen now. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand the whole church age that we live in now. They thought it was going to happen all right now. So when Jesus said, and by the way, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, they thought, wait, no, you're the Messiah. You have to deliver us politically. They didn't completely understand the spiritual nature of Jesus' ministry. And so John's ministry was intended to show Israel that salvation consisted in the forgiveness of sins. In verse 77 there, he talks about that, in the forgiveness of their sins. John preached a repentance, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And even though Israel was God's chosen people nationally, they still had to be reconciled to God because of their sin. Offerings weren't going to do it. The Bible says that the, the offerings of goats and, and animals, that's not going to take away our sin. That's just a picture of Christ's sacrifice to come. And so they had to be reconciled individually through repentance and the forgiveness of their own personal sin. Because since God is holy, no, no sinner can really, you know, stand righteously in his presence. You can stand under judgment in his presence. He's just. He can't just simply forget it. When you talk about the judgment of God, you hear a lot of people explain, well, you know, I believe in a God of love. I don't think God would judge me. I don't think God would send anybody to hell. That's the whole point. See, God, God is not sending us to hell. We're on our way to hell. Do we understand this? We're on our way to hell because of our sinfulness. God is, is loving because he's providing a way out. He's providing salvation. He's ordained that the penalty of our sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. But because of his tender mercy, he took that penalty of sin upon himself so that we could go free. Even John, when he announced the Messiah in John chapter 1, verse 29, he announced Jesus as the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. He provides salvation. Zacharias brings together those references which describes those in need of God's salvation. And he says, those who sit... There in verse 79, in darkness and in the shadow of death. 
It's kind of a picture, you might say, of a traveler who, if you've ever been out at night and you lost your way and it was dark. One time we went camping in the woods and, you know, that was before cell phones and all that kind of stuff. And the flashlight died when we were on our way to a campsite. And, I mean, you couldn't see anything. It was a clouded night. It was, I mean, it was very dark. I remember stumbling through the woods thinking, where are we going? And pretty soon you start to get fearful because you, you really get disoriented. If you've ever been in the, the caverns down there in the, in the uh, California there, they have these caverns and they go down there. They used to, when you go down there, they used to take you down there and they'd turn the light out. And it's so dark. And even though it's maybe 15 seconds at the most that the lights are out, it seems like, okay, turn them on, turn them on. After five seconds, you're kind of freaking out. You're going, man, it's really dark in here. I can't see anything. Can you imagine Utter darkness for all eternity? That's what this is a picture of. They're lost in darkness. They don't know which way to go. They're afraid of death, which is always there lurking in the shadows. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They can't find their way. What do they need? They need light. They need light. Perhaps at Christmas time they hear that a Savior has been born. Gives them that light. Maybe they hear further that the Savior died. He was born to die, as we spoke of last week, to save his people from their sins. Gives them a little more light. But then maybe they stop and they wonder, well, you know, I don't know if I'm good enough to really earn this salvation that Christ is offering me. But then they hear the message that, you know what? No, the gospel's free. It's, it's, it's not something you can earn. God offers forgiveness of sins freely because of his tender mercy, beloved. The sun rises in its full light into their soul and he guides them into the way of peace. In verse 78, that that word there, because of the tender mercy of our God, that word tender really refers to bowels. It's the innermost being. It's the seat of emotions. See, in in the... the religious sense, culturally back then, they wouldn't think of, you know, uh, the head, the brain. They would think of the gut as the seat of emotions. And see, many people today think erroneously that God is mean, that he's some old man up there in heaven with a big stick, and he's harsh, and he's waiting to just strike them down because of their sin. See, Jesus portrayed the heavenly father as a father in the parable of the prodigal son. And how was that portrayed? When he saw his son from a distance, what did he do? It says that he felt compassion for him. That's the same word there, bowels. It's down here. It's in the gut. And it says that he ran and he embraced his son and he kissed him. He didn't scold him for running away and spending his inheritance and doing all this wrong stuff. No, he welcomed him back. See, that's the tender mercy that God has for us today. You must understand that God must judge all sin or he would no longer be just. He can't just brush it aside. At judgment, he will pour out for all eternity his wrath on all sinners who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. But God is not only just, beloved, he's also merciful. And the Bible says because of his great love and mercy that he has, it really caused him to send his son to bear the penalty that we deserve to bear. And here this morning, if, 
Even like the prodigal son, if you repent, if you turn from your sin and you come to Christ, you come to the Savior, you know what? I guarantee you he will forgive you. This isn't a Ponzi scheme. This isn't, you know, the shells on the table kind of a thing. Oh, you know, we're just trying to get you into religion. No, that's not the purpose. He will forgive you completely. And you will know and understand his tender mercy and his love. Years ago, there was a man named Dr. Bernardo and he ran a London orphanage. He was approached by a dirty, ragged little boy who asked to be admitted into the orphanage. And the doctor looked at him and he said, but my boy, I don't know you. What do you have to recommend you? And the boy was not only needy, but he was also bright. And he quickly held up before Dr. Bernardo his ragged coat And with a confident little voice, he said, If you please, sir, I thought these here would be all I needed to recommend me. And the doctor caught him up in his arms and took him in. And because that was truly all he needed to recommend him was his rags. You know, that's a picture for us. Do you need forgiveness? Then the the Bible says, you know what? Bring, Bring the rags of all your sinfulness and give it to Christ. He, pour, he bore the penalty in his body on the cross. And because of his tender mercy, God says he will pardon you. He will pardon all who seek forgiveness. Salvation means the forgiveness of our sins by God's mercy. There's no such thing as a sin that is greater than the tender mercy of our God. So salvation is God's doing. It's accomplished through Christ. And the sunrise from on high, and it, it means that the, the forgiveness of sins by God's mercy. But the last thing here is salvation results in a life of holy service to God. Zacharias says in verse 74 to 75, being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. See, God saves us with a purpose. He doesn't just save us to sit around and be religious. Contrary to what a lot of people think, salvation is not primarily about us and it's not about our happiness. The Christian church is full of people who come to Jesus for what Jesus can do for them. How he can meet their felt needs. I want a happy family. I want a successful career. I want this. I want that. And maybe if I add God to the equation and Christ to the equation and come to church to the equation, somehow God will just miraculously make all this happen and I'll be happy, happy, happy in Jesus. I mean, the Christian life is a blessed, happy life. It's full of joy. It's full of goodness. It's full of gladness. But God doesn't save us so that we can just simply live happily ever after and ignore the needs of others around us. He saves us so that we might glorify Him. In other words, he saves us so that we might make him look good. It's a simple way of saying it. As a Christian, hopefully you're full of God's joy. And as that joy spills over, it it touches other people's lives. It overflows in, in service of others. I mean, to be honest, people who think that they're saved and only live for themselves and their own happiness and neglect the needs of others, I'm sorry, they're deceived. I don't believe those people are truly saved. 
Because we don't see that in the life of Christ. We're called Christians. We're to model Christ. When our lives become so focused on ourselves that we don't care about anybody else, that's, that's a time for a gut check. You need to stop and you need to go back to the basics of your faith. Because true salvation, as far as I read it in Scripture, always results in a holy life given over to serving our gracious God who has granted deliverance and salvation to us from the bondage of sin. This time of year, you go to Safeway, you go to any mall, and you see the little people out there ringing the bells, you know, the Salvation Army officers. Years ago, Salvation Army officer Captain Shaw went to India as a medical missionary to help a leopard colony, and his eyes welled up with tears as he saw three lepers in front of him. Their hands and their feet were bound by, by chains that had cut into their diseased flesh. Shaw turned to the guard and said, Can you unfashion these chains from these individuals? And the guard said, It's not safe. These men are not just lepers, they're dangerous criminals. Shaw kind of appealed again and said, I'll be responsible. They're suffering enough. He took the keys and tenderly removed the shackles and he treated their bleeding ankles and their bleeding wrists. About two weeks later, Captain Shaw had his first misgivings about freeing these criminals. He had to make an overnight trip and he feared leaving his wife and children alone. His wife insisted that she wasn't afraid. God would protect her. So the doctor left. And the next morning when Mrs. Shaw went to the door, she was startled to see these three criminals lying on her steps. One explained, we know that the doctor go. We stay here all night, so no harm come to you. That was their response to the doctor's act of love for them, to serve him freely out of gratitude. And you know what? That should be our response. God has freely saved us from the bondage of sin. And it's all because he sent his son to take on a human body, to live a perfect life, to die on a cruel cross, to become sin for us. That should motivate us to give our lives in holy service to him. Well, Zacharias' prophecy tells us the meaning of Christmas, that God sent us a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We were really inadequate to be able to explain that to you somehow God himself must break through if you would grasp it I don't have a formula I I can't say just pray this prayer I can't say do this do that God does that work but I know that God answers the prayer of someone who's crying out in need repenting of their sin turning from their sin and turning to the Savior Close with this illustration. During the Christmas season of 1879, an agnostic reporter in Boston saw three little girls standing in front of a store window full of toys. One of them was blind. Coming closer, he heard the other two try to describe to the little blind kid some of these things that they were seeing, these toys. He said he had never thought of how difficult it would be to explain what something looks like to someone who has never been able to see it. That incident became the basis for a newspaper story. Two weeks later, the same agnostic attended a meeting conducted by the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. His purpose was to catch Moody in some inconsistency while he was preaching. But he was greatly surprised to hear Moody use his newspaper account of the three children to illustrate a spiritual truth. 
Here's what Moody said. Just as the blind girl couldn't visualize the toys, so a lost person can't see Christ in all his glory. He said that God must open the eyes of those without Christ so that the person will acknowledge his sin and trust in the Savior in humble faith. And that day God opened that newspaper man's eyes and he saw his own need and he discovered for himself the truth of what Moody was preaching about. If you've ever, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you're sitting in darkness You're sitting in your sin. You're sitting in the shadow of death. But I want you to take away from this message this morning the simple fact that God has visited you. He's visited you with the good news that he is merciful to sinners, that he is willing to forgive. And I want you to ask him to shine into your hearts and to give you guidance as you find your way, the way of peace to the Savior. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I know if you turn to Christ, you will understand his tender mercies and that he will forgive all of your sins because the true meaning of Christmas is simply that that God sent us a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example of Zacharias and the prophecies that were fulfilled. Lord, I pray that as we approach the birth of your son, the celebration of your son, Lord, that I know the world clutters everything up with commercialism and and everything else. But Lord, as Christians, we have a duty to go out into this lost and dying world and lift up the light of Christ. Allow people to understand why we celebrate, why people are decorating their houses with lights, why the malls are filled with shoppers, why radio stations are playing different songs this time of the year with a focus on Christmas, on the the birth of your son. We have a duty to explain to them that you visited us and that salvation has been provided for through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for any here who's yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, this may be the day that they cry out. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to make sense of these words I'm hearing. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm in need. And Father, if what this man says is true, I can't do anything about it. You have to do it for me. You you come to God with that humble attitude. He will perform a miracle in you that you've never experienced before. The forgiveness of your sin. He says he transforms your heart. He makes you a new person. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. Father, as Christians, I just pray that we be reminded to to keep the gospel the central focus, keep Christ the central focus of our, our holiday celebrations. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The true meaning of Christmas. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And by the way, we do have a special candlelight Christmas Eve service that will take place here at the church. 
gracefultruth.org is where you can find more information or call 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or again, visit us at the website gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. 9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. It's gracefultruth.org. We look forward to hearing from you and trust we'll see you next week when we continue our look at the true meaning of Christmas. Until next time, God bless.